You are listening to the Aesthetic Vibes podcast and I'm your host Amy. I have a background working in a corporate environment for over 15 years. I'm a doctor, a lecturer, a lawyer and a published author. This podcast is a look inside my brain. I cover relevant and totally irrelevant topics ranging from self-help and advice to the spooky and scary, a little bit of true crime, mental health. I also like to tell some stories along the way. My goal is to spread aesthetic vibes whilst discussing these topics. I do like to end each episode with a lighter note, usually something completely ridiculous. Okay, with all that being said, let's hang out. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we stay in the realm of spooky and scary in celebration of Halloween for the entire month of October. Today, we are going to discuss some of the scariest things to exist on the internet. Let's get started. Have you ever heard of the Blue Whale Challenge? The year is 2018, and the Blue Whale Challenge is gaining popularity on the internet among young people. The Blue Whale Game is a game that exists in a hidden world online. You need to know how and where to find it to be part of the game. It's hidden so deep that it's unable to be found easily. Interestingly, The rules for the game are not written down and can't be found easily. This game gained popularity on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter around the year of 2018. The game called the Blue Whale Game because blue whales beach themselves, causing them to die. The game itself is categorised as a pro-suicide game. To play the game, the participants are told to download an app. There are rumours that the app cannot be deleted because it contains malware viruses. Administrators of the game are said to target participants via Facebook, Instagram and Twitter who belong to communities and publish depressive, self-harm and suicidal content. So this game is very targeted at what they would deem the right audience. The game itself lasts over 50 days with tasks that need to be completed daily by participants. The game will start out between the administrator and the participant. The administrator will provide the participant with instructions each day on these tasks that need to be completed. To begin with, the tasks start out with pretty simple things such as listening to a particular genre of music or watching a particular movie. As time progresses, the tasks begin to get more and more difficult. Participants can be asked to mutilate their skin and other tasks such as carving a blue whale into their skin. The very final task on day 50 
is to commit suicide. After entering into the game, it is very difficult to leave the game. This is because if a participant tries to leave, an administrator will threaten to release, publish or share something very personal about the participant. And before they commit suicide, the participants are told to delete all correspondence between themselves and the administrator of the game. Participants are also not allowed to speak of the game to anyone. Participants are told, once you begin the game, you cannot leave. During the tasks, the administrators bully the participant by putting them down, telling them things like, your life is awful, it's never going to get better, your parents don't care about you, and so on. The game is said to have been created by a group of people aiming to increase suicide rates in several countries. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, a 21-year-old male by the name of Philip, I'm going to leave his surname out, um, he goes by a second name online, I'm also going to leave that out, but basically he was deemed the designer of the game and he has been charged with organising eight groups between 2013 and 2016 promoting suicide. He has now confessed to the offences and he's told Russian investigators that the female victims were happy to die and they were a biological waste who would cause harm to society. And so he rationalised that he was cleansing society. He stated that he knew that there were 17 suicides that he was aware of um, and he claimed another 28 were ready to commit suicide. It is reported that most of the young girls fell in love with the creator who showed them attention and this uh, unusual sense of love. He was jailed for three years for inciting people to kill themselves despite confessing to 17 known suicides. There are many other forms of this game that have popped up on the internet since. We've got ask.fm, spring.me, sayit.me um, and there's Momo as well just to name a few. If you hear of any of these, please note these sites are copies of the Blue Whale Challenge. This legitimately sounds like the plot from a movie, and I think it has been. This goes more to the fact that the internet is damn scary. Children should not be allowed to wander or roam the internet without proper guidance and monitoring. Talk about scary. The other crazy part is people create these types of games with the main objective of having people commit suicide. What goes through someone's head where they wake up one day and go, yeah, cool. Uh, I think it would be good to contribute to people killing themselves and encouraging them to do so. Further to this, the internet may feel large, but what people don't realise is Everything is traceable. Your actions can be found. Everything is traceable. Ever heard of Anora Petrova? Anora um, is nicknamed Annie, so we'll just refer to her as Annie from here forward. But she was born in Portland to Mikhail and Nancy Petrova. Annie, from a very young age, practiced ice skating. And by the age of 13, she was named Crystal Classic Champion. She was being trained by a famous skater for the Olympics. So things were going quite well for Annie and her skating career. Until 
One day before this Crystal Classic Championship, out of apprehension and maybe curiosity, she actually decided to Google her name. She found the results shocking. She found a Wikipedia page based on her that said she was going to win the championship the next day. So at first, Annie's thinking, okay, cool, maybe this is my dad that did this or someone from the skating club to give her encouragement. She asked, they all said no. Anyway, she soon forgets about the page, um, but she does win the championship the next day. This reminded her about the page. She started checking the page every time she had a competition. Surprisingly, each time the page made accurate predictions. Everything was going well. Annie was finally getting ready for the Olympics. This time, she decided to influence her Wikipedia page by editing the information as Annie won the Olympics. Following this, the page that had always brought her good news said, Annie is a selfish little bitch who is going to get what she deserves. She was in a state of shock and she thought maybe a competitor had done this? Annie was really disturbed with what she found on the Wikipedia page. So she actually reaches out to Wikipedia to say, hey, could you give me any information on this page? Strangely, the administrators at Wikipedia couldn't find this page that she was referring to. The next edit to the page was, Annie is a pathetic little orphan whose real parents died in a terrible accident. So out of panic, she calls her parents to warn them, but there's no reply. Then a few days later, she actually gets the news that her parents passed away in a road accident. Annie, in a state of shock from her parents dying and her ice skating career not going how she wanted, checks the page one last time. And the page says, Annie Petrova, born 5th of May, died October 24th, 2010. Was an American junior figure skater winner who died a lonely orphan death because she was a greedy little piggy. The predictions turn out to be true and the police find Annie slumped over her computer keyboard. Was it Annie's mere illusion? What about the page? Was she suffering from a psychological disorder or was there something truly unnatural that was not visible to normalise? Whether it was or wasn't, Annie's case is still a mystery that perhaps never gets closure. Some even claim that the story is a myth. However, others claim it is completely real. Some people say they experience disturbing things after hearing about the story, real or fake. Regardless, creepy, very, very creepy. The fact that some people believe it's a real story, creepy as shit. Uh, and I guess we'll never know. But I mean, what I liked about this was there are very specific details. There's very specific dates, names. So I mean, if this is something someone's made up, well, damn, they've done a good job. Okay, so let me talk to you about the no end house. We are faced with the story of two friends, Peter and David. Worth noting, Peter is actually addicted to heroin. Their friendship was a lot of up and down and contact between them would vary. Anyway, one day Peter reaches out to his friend David and he tells him about this place called the no end house. 
So it's a house with nine rooms. And if you reach the final exit, you win $500. Peter apparently tried, but he failed. So after some back and forth and discussion, Peter eventually convinces David to go and do the challenge with him. So David notes that the no-end house isn't far from his own house. So he goes ahead and travels to the location. He enters the house. The first room looks like uh, a hotel lobby decorated for Halloween. There is no worker or individual at the door. However, there's a sign that says, room one this way, eight more follow. Reach the end and you win. Room one was decorated with props that you would expect to find at a, a cheap store, perhaps. At the far end of the room was an exit. And it was the only door in the room besides the one that David entered through. He looks at the room, does his thing. Okay, cool. This is room one. Moves to room two. Opens the door heads into room two. Room two has a fog machine and a bat hung from the ceiling um, and it's flying in a circle and they seem to have a Halloween soundtrack on that seems to be quite cheap um, and it's on some sort of loop. So excellent, David's like great, room two, nothing too crazy here, let's head to room three. This is where shit starts to take a turn. On the surface it looked like a normal room. There's a chair in the middle of the wooden panelled floor. There's a lamp in the corner, uh, which is not doing a great job of lighting the area. It's like a sketchy little lamp. There were shadows across the floor and walls. But the strange thing was, the shadows in the room didn't match the shadows of the items present in the room. So there were additional shadows. It's at this point where David realised he could not backtrack. So he goes to the door handle, trying to exit back through to room two, but the doors were locked. So basically, you had to continue forward or tap out. He's worked that out at this point. He's moving from room three to four. Room four is um, completely pitch black and soundproof. There was something or someone in the room. David reports, I felt something behind me. I spun around wildly, but could barely even see my nose. I knew it was there, though. Regardless of how dark it was, I knew something was there. And there's this humming sound that starts, and the hum is getting louder and closer. And he reports that it feels like it's surrounding him. But he knew whatever was causing the noise was, in fact, in front of him inching closer so because whatever it was is inching closer he takes a step back and he says you know I'd never felt that kind of fear before I can't really describe true fear he wasn't scared that he was going to die but he was like okay what's the alternative to that how injured or um, hurt can I possibly get he was afraid of what this thing had in store for him then the lights flashed on for a second and he sees nothing, not a single thing in the room. Then the lights flash off back into darkness, and then this humming noise becomes this screeching noise. He screams because he's like, oh my god, I can't handle this sound. He runs backwards from the noise and fumbles for the door handle. He turns the handle and then falls into room five. 
Room five has trees growing in it, and the ceiling is considerably higher than the others. In this room, David begins to hear what he describes as a forest. He can hear bugs and birds and all those kind of cool foresty sounds. In the room, however, he feels like bugs are falling all over him, and when he's looking to kind of flick the bugs off, there's nothing there. So he's kind of got this feeling of something crawling all over him. Eventually he kind of drops to the floor and he's trying to flick things off his arms, but there's nothing there. He crawls and then he finds the exit from room five into six. He enters room six and he describes it as pure hell. He's hearing that humming noise. If you remember that humming noise I referenced, it's getting louder and louder. Room six looks identical to room three the same chair and lamp, but this time the shadows actually match correctly. The only difference was there was no exit door. And the one he came through had disappeared, couldn't find the door. So he scratched at the door or where he thought the doorknob was. And then he hears, are you all right? And there's a little girl. And she's wearing a soft white dress down to her ankles, long blonde hair in the middle of her back, white skin, blue eyes. He claims that she was the most frightening thing he had ever seen. When he looked at her, he saw something else. Where she stood, David saw what looked like a man's body only larger than normal and covered in hair. He was naked from head to toe, but his head was not human and his toes were hooves. He, he didn't know, is this the devil? But the form had a head of a ram and the snout of a wolf. The form started whispering, David, you shouldn't have come. David starts searching unsuccessfully for the door. Eventually he finds it. He feels like he created the door in his mind because he was so desperate to leave the room. So it almost feels like he fabricated the door. <laughs> so he's kind of a little bit confused. Anyway, he stumbles through the door into room seven, but he finds himself outside. He's like, okay, cool. I'm outside of the venue. He sees his car. So he walks to his car and drives home. As he pulls up to his house, he's feeling uneasy. The joy of actually leaving No End House had faded and he, he's got this feeling of dread in his stomach that's slowly building. He shook it off as like residual fear from the house um, and kind of walks up to his front door. He enters, goes up to his room and there on his bed he finds his cat, uh, Baskerville. Baskerville is the first living thing David had seen all night and so he reaches to pat him. The cat hisses and then swipes at his hand. And David kind of steps back in shock. The cat had never acted like that before. So David jumps in the shower and gets ready for what he was expecting to be a sleepless night. After his shower, he goes to the kitchen to make some food. David descends the stairs and turns into the family room where he saw what would forever be burned into his mind. His parents were lying on the ground, naked, and covered in blood. They were mutilated to near unidentifiable states. Their limbs were removed and placed next to their bodies and their heads were placed on their chests facing him. The most unsettling part was their expressions. They were smiling as though they were happy to see him. David then 
vomits and he he really just doesn't know what the hell happened then he sees it a door that was never there before a door with a large eight scrawled on it in blood he was still in no end house he was standing there in his family room but he was in room seven the faces of his parents continued to smile wider as he realises this, then that really loud humming returns and it was louder than it was before. He feels the walls of the house shaking and the humming is kind of encouraging him to walk. So he begins to walk slowly. He makes his way to the door, uh, past the bodies. He's feeling like he can barely stand. He can barely walk. The walls were shaking so hard it seemed like it was going to crumble. But the faces of the parents smiled at him. As he inched closer, their faces followed. He was now between two bodies, a few feet away from the door. The dismembered hands clawed their way across the carpet towards him, all while the faces continued to stare. And terror washes over him, and he begins kind of sprinting to the door. He didn't want to hear them speak. He doesn't want anything else. He just wants to get the hell out of there. In desperation, he lunges towards the door, throws it open, and then dives in. This is room eight. So room eight was a copy of rooms three and six. And if you remember, three and six were pretty much identical except for the shadows. This room, however, in the chair has a man sitting in it. After a few seconds of disbelief, he actually realises the man sitting in the chair is himself. Not someone who looked like him, but it was actually him. He walked closer to get a better look. He looks up at himself and he notices tears in his eyes. David recounts the conversation with himself. So the David sitting in the chair says, please, please don't do it. Please don't hurt me. Standing David says, what? Who are you? I'm not going to hurt you. Sitting David says, yes, you are. And he starts crying. You're going to hurt me and I don't want you to. He's sitting in the chair with his legs up and he begins rocking back and forth. David thinks, okay, he looks kind of pathetic because (laughs) he's me um, and we're identical in every way and that's pretty pathetic. So David, standing David says, listen, who are you? And he claims that this is the weirdest experience yet, actually standing there talking to himself. He wasn't scared, but would be soon. Sitting David says, you're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. If you want to leave, you're going to hurt me. David says, why are you saying this? Just calm down. All right, let's just figure this out. And then he sees it. Sitting down David was wearing the same clothes as standing David, except for a small patch on his shirt embroidered with the number nine. Sitting David says, you're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. Please You're going to hurt me. Please don't. Underneath the chair that he's sitting in is a knife. Attached was a tag that reads, To David from Management. Eventually, David grabs the knife and the other David asks, So what are you going to do? David says, I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to keep you here. David lunges, tackles him out of the chair to the ground and then that hum is there uh, returning David looks up at himself um, and then he slams the knife into the patch on sitting David's chest and tears down. And then blackness falls on the room. David explains the following. The darkness around me was like nothing I had experienced to this point. Room four was dark, but it didn't come close 
to what was completely engulfing me. I wasn't even sure if I was falling for a while. I felt weightless. I was covered in darkness and there was a deep sadness over me. I felt lost, depressed and suicidal. The sight of my parents entered my mind. I knew it wasn't real, but I had seen it and the mind has trouble differentiating between what's real and what isn't. He felt like he was in room nine for days. This is the final room. And that's exactly what it was. The end. At that moment, he knew he would be in that in-between state forever, engulfed by the darkness. He felt like he'd lost all of his senses. He couldn't feel himself. He couldn't hear anything. His sight was useless. And he, he remembers searching for a taste in his mouth and not finding anything. He felt disembodied and completely lost. He knew where he was, and he defined that as hell. Room nine was hell. And that happened. A light. One of those stereotypical lights at the end of the tunnel. He felt the ground come up from below him. And then all of a sudden he was standing. He takes a couple of moments, gathers his thoughts and senses and slowly walks towards the light. As he approaches the light, it took form. It was a vertical slit down the side of an unmarked door. He walks through the door, finds himself back where he started, in the lobby of No End House. It was exactly how he left it. Empty, stood with those terrible Halloween decorations, but after everything that happened that night, he was wary of where he was. So after a few moments of normalcy, he actually looks around the place to find anything different. He sees on the desk a plain white envelope with his name handwritten on the front of it. He was curious, yet cautious after all the shit that's gone down. He mustered up the courage to open the envelope. Inside was a letter handwritten that said, David Williams, congratulations. You've made it to the end of No End House. Please accept this prize as a token of great achievement. Yours forever, management. With the letter was $500. He starts laughing and he laughs for what he claims to be what felt like hours. He laughs, walks to his car. He's driving home. He's still laughing, pulls into his driveway, still laughing. He opens the front door to his house, laughing, and then stops. He looks at the wood on the front door and sees a small 10 etched into the wood. The end. (laughs) The end. Like, that's it. The end. The end of the story. Far out. Um, epic. What the hell happened to Peter, though? We, we lost track of our resident um, addictive individual at the very start. We then, with David for the whole ride, where the hell's Peter? Was Peter in the house still when he came to David? And what the hell happened after that? Does it just keep going? I mean, it's called No End House, right? Epic. The internet is a scary, scary place. Whether this is real or fake, it definitely leaves me with this spooky, scary feeling. As with every episode, we end on a lighter note, and today is no different. Today, I am going to talk about some trends that we thought were cool, that certainly aren't, that have unfortunately come back. One that I've never got are grills. So like having 
like fake diamonds or fake colors or whatever in like a mouthpiece that's put over the top of your teeth. I remember seeing one that was like this sketchy ass rainbow (laughs) that you could buy off eBay for like 20 bucks. I don't understand grills. People still do it. People still have them. And I've heard that you can't wear them for a long period of time because they actually can move your teeth because you're applying pressure in a different direction. So if you've had braces or Invisalign and you put a grill in, you're likely to kind of fuck with the positioning of your teeth. One that I don't understand are mullets. Mullets are really big in Australia. So that's like short at the front and then long at the back. Like it looks terrible. I don't understand it. But every second person in Australia has a mullet and people all around the world are getting mullets cut into their hair, which I just find so bizarre. The other one that I don't get are low-rise jeans. So we went through like a period of really low jeans that sat super, super low on the hips. And then all of a sudden everything went high-waisted and then it went kind of normal with like that boyfriend or mum kind of jean. And then now it's gone super low-waisted again. I don't understand super low-waisted pants like they are so uncomfortable your ass crack is constantly poking out and you're like yanking them up at the back every time you sit but not only that they make you feel so self-conscious if you've got any weight in your stomach and you're wearing low-rise stuff it looks horrific so low-rise like jeans and shit no can we just not they were bad Back in the 2000s, they're terrible now. It really confuses me why some of the 2000s trends have come back and people are, you know, out op shopping and picking up stuff that, like, as a millennial, we have literally thrown out because of how embarrassingly, like, foul some of the shit was. So I don't get how it's a trend thing at the moment. Also, thin eyebrows are coming back. Why? Why? And there's, like, there's a filter on TikTok with thinned eyebrows and people are like oh my god this is amazing how good do I look no they're they're like paper thin lines no there's no good you don't look good this is terrible please don't (laughs) Um, and along with that is bleaching your eyebrows heaps of people that are like got super dark hair are bleaching their eyebrows I don't I don't understand like it confuses me so much I would add crocs to the list however (laughs) I've always been anti-crocs always I bought a pair I've always been anti-crocs. I'm like, they're gross, they're foul, look at them, they're plastic, yuck, couldn't think of anything worse. However, I tried them on. Um, So the dog ate my slides because I usually wear slides. So I was like, okay, I need to buy a new pair of slides. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll have a look at crocs because I've heard that they're super comfortable. Went to the shops, tried them on, loved them, bought them. So I've got like black crocs with a couple of those, like, I don't know what they're called, those little things that you stick on them. Yeah, Crocs. (laughs) Ugg boots is another one. I don't really feel like I can bash Ugg boots because I've got a pair that I wear in the winter, but I know that people hate those. Um, They hate Crocs, they hate Ugg boots. I know there's people that hate Docs, and those people are dead to me. Docs are the best shoes going around. I don't care what anyone says. I've worn Docs most days for the best part of my adult life. One thing I definitely don't want to see is the layered shirts. I remember I worked at like a hotel in the bar area because I was, I was a manager actually. And um, we'd have the uniform, which was black pants and like a black button up collared shirt. But the shirts weren't long. They were like 
cut to be at kind of the top of your pants. So what we used to do is layer these singlet tops with elasticated like waistbands in them and you'd wear multiple so you'd have like a black one on and you'd layer like a green one and a yellow one or like a blue one but you'd layer them so like you're probably wearing like four shirts (laughs) plus a bra and and then you've got like um yeah you've got layered singlets on with all multi-colors and you look super cool The other thing we used to do was, like, earrings. We used to wear, like, really big, long, dangly earrings, and that was, like, a thing. And having a new pair of earrings, like, every other shift, that was so cool. You were the coolest if you had new earrings. I've seen on TikTok that a lot of girls are bashing (laughs) people that wear uh, skinny jeans or high-waisted pants. So, whatever. (laughs) I don't agree with that. But also, I saw one the other day where a girl was like, "Um, anybody that wears... Uh, red nail polish like you know how old do you want to be that's what old women do but red nail polish has always been cool so I'm like so confused I didn't think that it was that bad the other thing I don't get are the teeny tiny sunglasses we did that many years ago they looked bad then they look freaking terrible now. The teeny tiny ones. Like I get the ones that are cool that are like um you know a big pair of butterfly wings or whatever. But, like, the teeny tiny ones with no apparent, like, reason or function, you don't even look through them, you look above them, which is something that shits me. I'm going to go through, in the next episode, all the things I hate about wearing glasses. But one thing that shits me to no end is when people who... So there are people that wear glasses because they have a prescription and they need them to see. So they need them to visually see. For me, it's long and short distance. I'm blind. I can't see shit. What I hate are people that buy those um, blue light fake glasses, which don't do anything. They're just fake glasses. They're just like looking through clearness. (laughs) And then they look over the top of them. Bro, that's not how you wear glasses. People that wear glasses wear them to look through the lenses because they can't physically see. Same goes with these sunglasses. You don't even look through them. You look over the top of them. What's the fucking point? What is the point? It absolutely does my head in. But I'm going to save that and I'm going to go through everything I hate about glasses in the next episode. Another thing I don't get are those micro bags, like those teeny tiny bags that fit nothing in it. Like you couldn't even fit like a single fuck in there. Like, you know, I give no fucks. I can't even fit one in this bag. It is so small. I don't get it. Why why are we doing this? Where's your shit? Where are you going to put your stuff? Like what? I don't understand. I physically don't understand. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's spooky and scary. Join me next episode as we continue down that path. We are not deviating from the spooky and scary. In the meantime, let's hang out on social media. Hit me up at Aesthetic Vibes Pod. Drop me an email at aestheticvibespodcast.outlook.com. Visit my website, aestheticvibespodcast.com. Hit up my TikTok at Dr. Ames Kelly. Okay, until next time, stay spooky. Bye.